Hi everyone, it's Monique and London, and we have our special guest here, who is probably one of our most popular it's podcasts. It's one of our most popular podcasts. I know. I think it actually is the most popular podcast. It is. It is. But we we're trying not to give him too much of that credit because his head is big enough as it is. So um, here he is. We'll let him introduce himself. Hello everyone, Gary and Olfato here. Yay. So we decided to chat to Dr. Um, Andefado, Gary, about agitation because it is something that's come up in our nursing discussion quite a bit, is how to manage those really agitated patients from people who are mildly agitated all the way to somebody who's out of control. Right. And, yeah. and for those of you who haven't listened to the other Gary Andefado podcasts, The one person who hasn't listened, maybe. The one person on the planet who hasn't (laughs) heard of Gary Andolfato. Yeah. He's kind of a big deal around ketamine. Ketamine. Yeah, I think so. Ketamine research and that kind of thing. So I don't know if you have like a elevator speech about (laughs) what you know or or why you're interested in ketamine and what your history with ketamine has been on a professional level. and uh, (laughs) Not not personal. Not personal level. We'll keep it professional. Yeah. But we will so, talk a little bit about that. But I think that I'm sure Landon is going to make some joke about how long I've been in nursing. Um, and uh, It's forever. Yeah, it's forever. So really, I'd love, Gary, to talk more about the changes in the way that we manage agitation from back in the day when I used to give Valium, like it was going out of style, and then Haldol, and now really looking at things like ketamine. And I thought it would be nice for us to compare and what... what drug fits what clinical situation and what are some of the concerns with certain drugs themselves? Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, agitation control has always been a big problem Mm -hmm. because um, these are very unpleasant situations. Uh, People need to be controlled. Um, There's always a lot of controversy about how to control them and how far to take things. So what it really comes down to the, the essence of, of it for me has always been, how much time do I have mm-hmm. to get this person under control? Because if you have lots of time and they're just you know mild to moderately agitated, you want to pick the least invasive way possible, right? And you can talk a lot of people down. You can, mm-hmm. you can reason with them. You've got to be careful with that, of course, because mm-hmm. that can go on forever. And you know, with, with reasonable limits, you can pick some mild set. If you have lots of time and they're just mildly a- agitated, a mild sedative makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Give them a little bit of Ativan, a little bit of sublingual Ativan, and that'll be perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But there's times when that's just not going to be enough. Mm-hmm. For emergentologists... Oh, are, wow. Ooh, how is that? Oh, wow, that's quite a big word. Emergentologists. Yeah. Emergentologists. <laughs> might not even be a word, but... We've made it a word it now. Is now. It, it is now. It's a word now. <laughs> so we're much more concerned about what to do to get someone under control who's really being quite disruptive. Mm-hmm. And this is where we always reached for vitamin H, right? Yeah. Haldol had lots of great qualities. It controls their behavior. It mm-hmm. doesn't drop their blood pressure. They're still breathing. They maintain their airways. It was all really good stuff. So you can, you can give it IM. You can give it IV. Yeah. Now, you have to be able to start an IV. That's sometimes a problem. But you can give it IM and then... Yeah. And then you wait. And that's where the problem comes in. Uh-huh. Um, because Haldol, of course, takes, it really takes 30, 40 minutes to kick in. To really kick in. People mm-hmm. combine it with some Ativan for a bit more sedation because it's not particularly sedative. And you can, you know, Haldol 10, Ativan 2, IM, mm-hmm. and then you sit back and you wait. And I've always was really uncomfortable with that because 
in the people that are really agitated, those minutes, and there are quite a few minutes, mm-hmm. they, they take forever. Yeah. And sometimes that's okay. If you've got 45 minutes to wait and you're not in a hurry, yeah. you give them that and you, you know, go do something else, come back later when, when they're sedated. Mm-hmm. You know, that's still perfectly fine. You can still, and you know, that still would be very appropriate treatment today in mm-hmm. someone who's moderately agitated and you can wait. Right. And, and part of that is, is physiological weight. Like they're not so agitated that they're hugely tachycardic and that kind of thing. But the other consideration is probably also if they're flailing about and throwing nurses around and that kind of thing. So it's That's, safety. It's, there's a safety component yeah. and a physiologic component to the patient. Exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, the ones we really get concerned about, the people that come in, you know, you've got four security guards, six police officers getting thrown around like rag dolls yeah. from someone who's just an absolute wild beast. Yeah. Now there, in that situation, waiting 20, 30, 40 minutes for a sedative kick in yeah. is just ridiculous. It right? is. People yeah. are going to get hurt. Yeah. Your staff are going to get hurt. And not just that, um, but these patients are usually uh, significantly altered metabolically. Yeah. They're usually sick. You know, they can be drug intoxicated, they can be septic, they can be both, you know, acutely psychotic. What they call agitated delirium is a real mixed bag of conditions. And this is how we've all remembered these news reports, some of which, you know, in our very own fine city. A patient gets agitated, um, they get taken down, they get restrained. Then the chokeholds come in, and I certainly don't blame police officers for using that because you try getting in that situation and controlling someone. And next thing you know, patients in cardiac arrest. You know exactly. what? What happened? Was it the restraint? Was it the chokehold? Was it a combination of things? Um, really difficult to know. But those are the patients where you want to get rapid control, not just to protect your staff, but it's also protecting the patient. The patient, absolutely. These yeah. patients are often really sick, and they need intervention. Um, agitated delirium. There's a, there's a real triad. There's there's the delirium. There's the there's the hyperthermia as well. Yeah. And, and the agitation. So you need to get them cooled. You need to get them investigated. You need to get labs. You need to get IVs. Yeah. And you can't do any of that when they're wild and crazy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so that's why picking the fastest agent possible is, is, is a real advantage. And it's just good for everyone. Yeah. And philosophically, actually, Gary, we as nurses, I think there's, a, there's in lots of different countries, too, that physical restraint is actually a no-no. Right, mm-hmm. we do. We don't like to physically restrain uh, patients. We kind of because of all of the things that you've mentioned, the safety issue for the patient itself, and and so we try really hard to get them chemically restrained as quickly as possible to limit the time that we actually have to physically restrain them. So that kind of plays well as well philosophically with what you're saying. Exactly right. You pick something that's really fast. Your staff is less likely to get injured. Yeah. Bit spat on, needle pokes. Yeah, all that exactly. goes down. Yeah. Patient is not. Patient is less injured. Yeah. Patient is more comfortable. Yeah. So it's humane for the patient. It's also safer for the patient because then once you've got them controlled, you can initiate what investigations and therapy. Absolutely. And there's over the years when we, you know, when we first started with Haldol, that takes 30, 40 minutes to kick in. Mm-hmm. Then Droperidol came into, oh, yeah. came in, came around. And we all <laughs> love that because because it's a lot faster. Yeah. It only takes fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's faster. It was it's, it was highly sedative, and it didn't last as long. So you get your patient sedated quicker. Still not quick, but quicker. Um, but of course, droperidol is really hard to come by these days. Why is that? 
QT prolongation. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, it, that totally must have just been a phase in my career when I wasn't dealing with these patients so, because I, like, drove Peridol. I've never given that or so, seen it. And so I was still in Emerge for the Haldol days. And, and then in my yeah. transport days, we use ketamine more than... Yeah. No, there's a long story stuff. behind it. But the short version is it is a combination of conspiracy theory and ignorance. Perfect. Uh, we use drugs all... I love it. It'll fit into our podcast. <laughs> what a great title. I know. Conspiracy and ignorance. <laughs> so, troperidol certainly prolongs the QT interval. Okay. And there has never been any recorded badness ever because of it. Mm-hmm. We use all sorts of medications that prolong QT. Undanstron. Right. Undanstron. Exactly. We, use it, like, we yeah. use it like water. Yeah. And yet, yet somehow in the U.S., troperidol got a black box warning... Yeah. which put it on the cannot use list, and then yeah. it, the supply just, just completely dried up. Right. Right. And we were all very sad to see it go. We used it for agitation control. We used it for migraine. Yeah. And it was a sad day when it left. Although I just read something that it started to make a bit bit of a resurgence in the U.S. Mm. Yeah. Well, hopefully it will come back. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you so, think it has something to... Sorry to interrupt, but no, do you think it has something to do with the fact that some of these patients may be on um, certain antipsychotics which or antidepressants that also prolong the QT plus using droperidol, maybe? I don't know if that had anything to do with it. That's way too logical. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> this, was, this was far more this simple was, based okay. on opinion, not science. Really? More conspiracy theory and if, ignorance. Sorry. <laughs> if they did it for that reason, it would actually make sense. <laughs> Beg your pardon. Yeah, but but no. But, um, but the honest truth is, there's no data that showed that droperidol is really dangerous. Dangerous, okay. And so people obviously come in on medication that prolong QT. Yeah. But we still use ontanzotron on them. Exactly. And so, so that it's, that's a very good point. It's totally something you always have to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not a reason for a black box Boxwood. warning. Yeah, okay. I think it had more to do with conspiracies of manufacturing yeah. and other drugs that they wanted to push uh, ahead. Of push that ahead, one. yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. All right. So, but anyway, so, so droperidol wasn't was an advance in terms of agitation control because yeah. it was faster. Yeah. And we all liked it for that reason. And then it was gone. And then, so we're back into the old situation of what do we do? And yeah. everybody's got their own mix, you know, loxapine and Valium, oh, yeah. <laughs> still Haldol and Ativan. Yeah. Oh, I forget the mixture. There's a, a three-part mixture of, you know, Benadryl, Benadryl, <laughs> oh, yeah. Haldol. And, yeah. <laughs> And so then, two and two, Cogentin, Haldol, and, yes, yeah. and uh, Ativan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they, but it all comes down to the same trouble. They all take time to work. Yeah. And they all, and all, all, all medications have side effect profiles. Mm-hmm. So if we if we switch into the biggest problem, that and that's the speed of onset. That that's where we get into people using higher doses of benzos. Yeah. Because then midazolam came along, yeah, very well absorbed yeah. intramuscularly, and we use it all the time that way. You can mm-hmm. even use you can use it for status epilepticus when yeah. a lot of other drugs have failed, and I've seen that work work for me many times. Um, so why not just because it's pretty fast acting, mm-hmm. you know, in five six minutes you can get someone pretty sedated with midazolam. The problem is once again the side effect profile. If you use enough midazolam to really get them sedated, then you're you're often um, got enough respiratory depression that you have to talk about intubating them. Yeah, I was gonna say. And so, yeah. so that's the problem with that. And then that's where people became much more interested in ketamine. 
ketamine. Yay. We finally got the ketamine. All roads lead to ketamine <laughs> yeah. with Dr. Gary Agafato. <laughs> so ketamine has the advantage of being fast. Mm-hmm. Just as fast or faster than midazolam. So with IM, you know, intramuscular injection, we're talking less than five minutes for full control. Wow. And midazolam is pretty close to that, but yeah. maybe one or two minutes longer, but probably not appreciably different. So they're both fast, mm-hmm. but the thing with ketamine is it will not cause respiratory depression. Right. Whereas midazolam will. And that's, for me, one reason alone that ketamine is a superior choice in that circumstance. Yeah. So if I had a patient brought in, you know, being held down, spitting, swearing, kicking, mm-hmm. you know, six police officers are barely having barely be able to hold this guy down. I could use either of those combinations pretty effectively, either mm-hmm. high-dose midazolam or high-dose ketamine. Yeah. I'll always pick the ketamine just because I avoid respiratory depression. Yeah. Also, uh, remember that these patients are very metabolically deranged. Mm-hmm. Um, you Last thing you want is them dropping their blood pressure. Yeah, and and when, you use, when you use benzodiazepines in high enough doses, their blood pressure often drops. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this in rapid, you know, in the old days of rapid sequence intubation, when people used to use lots of um, midazolam as an mm-hmm. induction agent. Yeah. And every time someone said I, their blood pressure didn't drop, someone would reply, "That's because you didn't use enough." Yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, and ketamine gets around that. Yeah. Um, so ketamine's fast. It doesn't drop their mm-hmm. blood pressure. It doesn't make them stop breathing. And you can give it. You just give it really quickly. But the dose, we have to talk about so, how yeah. much. So I have yeah. two questions. Yeah. One is around dose, just yeah. for this. It's uh, all yeah. it's all about the dose. Yes. It's all about the dose. And I and if you haven't listened to Dr. Endelfato talk about that, that's like the star of our other podcast yes. is that whole the dosing, dosing range. Yeah, but we'll so. go over it again here because you may not I, listen to that. Yeah. And the second question I have has totally left my head. So oh. start with dose and the other one will come back to me. As, as you guys all know, Monique and I are one take wonders, so there's no editing happening. And it's like live yeah. TV. So. so anyway, it's all about the dose. Could, yeah. be the, could be the title of the podcast. Yeah, I know. It could be, actually. Yeah. So, if we, so when we're talking about full behavioral control, mm-hmm. we're talking about high doses. Yeah. So that's going to be five milligrams Per kilogram, I am yeah. intramuscular. And yes, that means um, someone like Landon, after he comes back from the gym, <laughs> would, would need... Which is, you know, of course, six times a day. You know, 100 kilograms of pure muscle. <laughs> so when Landon comes in, in his steroid-induced steroid psychotic rage, <laughs> we I would say get 500 milligrams of ketamine. I am. I am. And then people, they now, don't now look do at people. Look at you funny when you say not, that. Not as much anymore. Not as much anymore. Not, yeah. <laughs> okay. It used to be. What? No, I said that right. Yeah, because they come in fifty milligram vials. Yeah, so must mean fifty, right? <laughs> exactly. So I don't get the funny looks quite so much anymore now that we've used it a fair bit. Um, yes, that's five hundred milligrams of mm-hmm. ketamine, and yes, we give that all at once, and so. Agitation control is really a team sport, mm-hmm. right? You've got, the, you've got your big beefy security guards holding the person down. And I like to split my 500 milligrams of ketamine into four syringes. Okay. You know, it cuts down. You don't want to give it all that volume. Cause you can't, yeah. Because you can't give 10 mils into one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Muscle. Unfortunately, yeah. we don't have the really high the concentration. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. would be great. So you're talking about 
four two and a half millimeter syringes. Yeah. And then it's a team of sport. You've got your staff around you. So let's say your your patient. Let's set the stage. The patient <laughs> is in the room. Yeah. They need to be controlled. Yeah. All your staff is outside the room. You've called security. Yeah. And they're standing outside. You've got your nursing staff and your you know your helpers, other helpers around. And I drop all the ketamine in four syringes. I hand it to one person. Say your right arm. I hand oh, it to yeah. the next person. Your left arm. Right. I'll be right leg and hand the other strange to someone else, your left leg. Mm -hmm. Security, what's gonna happen is we're gonna go in, you hold them down, and we are going to plunge all the syringes in at the same, same time. time. Yeah. Right through the clothing. Yeah. No one gets undressed. You don't have to yeah. do anything. So, And then you say, ready? One, two, three, go. You enter the room, they, put the, they pin the patient on the stretcher, four syringes go in at the same time, yeah. and then you step back. And in less than five minutes, you've gone from raging wild animal to calm little pussycat. There you go. And your patient is completely sedated. Yeah. And then now you walk back in. Now you can undress the patient. You can take their vital signs, yeah. get your IV started, apply your soft restraints, get right. the monitoring on, and figure out. Remember, you have to figure out what's actually going on. Yeah. Once you've got them sedated, this has just started. Yeah, you have to remember. Always have to remember these patients are really sick and altered. Yeah. and and this is where we get into some really interesting things about ketamine because um, I'm I'm digressing from dose. I'll That's get fine. back to dose. Well, I, I think we covered dose, so digress away. <laughs> but he wants to review all oh, the doses. Yeah. We, should. we should. At five. Yeah, because so, I do yeah. remember my other question now, and it, it will be related to yeah. Okay. But I'll, I'll finish this one. So, in these patients, they are prone to badness. Yeah. So. It, so I, I, t I say this about ketamine and ketamine, giving them ketamine doesn't ensure that mm -hmm. nothing bad will happen. Bad things yeah. will happen because bad things happen to these patients because they're sick and altered and they're yeah. intoxicated. But worse things happen if you don't get them under control quickly. Yeah. So doing nothing is mm -hmm. a choice and letting them be agitated, but that's actually more dangerous. Yeah. Ketamine has side effects that you need to know about. Like it, yeah. it can cause laryngospasm, it can cause salivation. Right. So you have to be prepared, be prepared to deal with that, but all the other options are worse. Mm -hmm. Using other drugs, like if I used Haldol on that wild, agitated, swinging patient, mm -hmm. and then sat back for 40 minutes, I'm asking my security team to hold this patient down for 40 minutes, yeah. um, which puts them at great risk. It puts the patient at great risk. They're yeah. they're fighting. They're getting you know, they're getting rhabdomyolysis, their yeah. kidneys are shutting down, they're getting more and more hyperthermic. Yeah. That's where the cardiac arrests happen. People get really acidotic. Yeah. And, you know, I think deaths are actually more likely to happen in that circumstance. So yeah. fast, rapid, full control is what you want. Yeah. And there's nothing faster and better than ketamine for that. Yeah, because they could, could, clinically they're unstable to begin with. And you haven't actually diagnosed them yet, right? People don't die of agitation. They're dying of some organic cause, and agitation is a symptom of something else going on. So the longer you delay getting the kind of diagnostic tests and treatment, we're not doing we're doing a disservice to our patients. We need to kind of get on that train of you know figuring out what's wrong rather than just treat, treating the symptom. But we have to treat the symptom in order for us to do all of that other diagnostic testing 100 percent, absolutely yeah. what so, we can ask a question well, so my, before he and, forgets you know no and it's gonna it's gonna go back into the dose conversation i think is um you, you know we we teach a lot around the province and, and go around the country and 
the, the ketamine always has the the war story of oh you can't give it to people who've had you know trauma in the past because it opens up their Pandora's box of their trauma. You can't yeah. give it to people who, you know, insert any probably non um, scientific reason here <laughs> uh, because everyone has seen one who had either an emergence reaction or some sort of weird reaction and therefore ketamine shall never be used and mm-hmm. and you know might might often line back to the well now I say it's all about the dose because you you and I have spoken of this before but you know, I, I sort of compare it sometimes to, yeah, you've probably given Tylenol to someone whose pain didn't all go away either, but you still give Tylenol to the next person. But for some reason, ketamine just has this thing of like, they even heard of someone who became uh, a little more aggressive or a little more hallucinative, that's not a word, um, but had a bad reaction to ketamine. Yeah. And suddenly every patient in our hospital from now on, our doctors won't use it anymore. It's like been banned, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So it seems to get this really high stakes outcome based on one bad thing. Whereas we still use Tylenol on people it's not working on. Yeah. The thing about those ketamine reactions is they do happen. They're not that common. But when they do happen, they can be quite legendary. Where everyone in the department and all the floors above you and below you and probably people across and seven the street, down the street. <laughs> have yeah. heard about it. So yeah. this is part of where the fearsome reputation of ketamine come, comes mm-hmm. around. Because when you get into that agitation zone, it can literally be quite legendary. And there are, there are bad stories like that out there. But So fix that patient for us. <laughs> But remember, now we get back to dose. So remember from our last podcast, we talked about this a fair bit. Ketamine is really reliable when you use it in the extremes of the dose. So if you use it in really high doses, you know, five milligrams per kilogram, it's very reliable and that this person will be completely unconscious. They're not going to be agitated. They may become agitated as the ketamine levels drop, but that's a problem for later. We're trying to fix a crisis now. The other time ketamine is really reliable is when you use it in really, really low doses, like 0.2 milligrams per kilogram. Then it's purely analgesic. People might get a little dizzy, usually not. You know, last 10 minutes and goes away, very mild. So very reliable. The fearsome agitation effects, you know, emergence reactions and what they technically call psychomimetic agitation, that happens in the middle zone. And this is part of what part of the talk I give all the time. Like ketamine is super reliable when you use it in low doses for pain. Ketamine is super reliable when you use it in really high doses for agitation control. And in the middle, you have no idea what you're gonna get. This is it's gonna it's a lot like uh, angel dust in the 60s. You could have a good trip or a bad trip. Mm-hmm. Lots of people have good trips. Some people have bad ones, and the bad ones can be really, really mm-hmm. bad. And the thing is, there's no way to predict. Yeah. what you're going to get and you know if you that get... k-hole <laughs> dose yeah well the k-hole <laughs> is technically complete you're completely out oh, it's okay. when you're coming out of the k-hole. k-hole yeah and so so you can get into the middle that bad middle zone if yeah. you get into the k-hole too slowly because okay. you have to go through those middle zone that middle zone yeah and it can happen when you come out of the k-hole yeah as your ketamine levels drop, drop. oh okay so so times when i've seen you know ketamine you know we're trying to control someone's agitation with Mm. ketamine i've actually seen i've actually seen this happen where it's given too slowly you drop a syringe give it drop another syringe give that one then you go and drop another one give that one give drop another one give that one yeah so it's taking you you know five six minutes to give all the ketamine 
and then the patient's ketamine levels are going up too slowly, okay. they'll go through that middle zone before they become fully agitated. So, okay. so that's a problem. That's why you want it so all. So that's kind of your reason for this is your syringe. This is your yours. syringe. Because you're giving it yeah. all at the same time. So not only not only do you limit the amount of time you're in contact with the patient, which is safer for everyone. Yeah. But it also gets you to that high dose, gets them up to that high dose much more quickly, which is a want. Yeah, because the absorption all at the same time. Right? Exactly. Rather right. than yeah. the different types. The other time I've seen ketamine fails when um, people fall prey to their natural human reaction of trying to be careful, right? Yeah. So if you're using something that you're not completely familiar with, it, it, the natural human tendency is to use less of it yeah. <laughs> just to be safe. Yeah. Right. And that's a natural... Like, if I'm going to give some morphine, I'm not sure how they're going to react. Well, I'll give just a little and see how they react. Because yeah. I can always give more. Yes. And that's a safer way to approach it. It's exactly the opposite with ketamine. Yeah. By, by cutting the dose down, like... You know, I don't want to give them 500. Let's just give them 250 because I'm a little bit worried about using so much. I've never given 500 before. That's a big number. Yeah. But it's five vials. <laughs> yeah. And they taught me in nursing school. And if you're every, pulling out five of anything, you should check your math. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone's looking at you funny. And yeah. So, okay, let's just give half and see how they do. Yeah. You've just shot yourself in the foot because you've now put them into the middle zone and your chance of having a bad effect has just gone up exponentially. Hmm. So so logic would say in my head, and tell me if I'm right, if you end up in the middle zone, you don't have much choice other than to give more, more and put them all the way there and then learn from your mistake, as opposed to leave them in the middle zone. And yeah, well, or you can use another drug. You can give them midazolam. Yeah. Okay, so sedate them a little bit. Yeah. Something yeah. else. Okay. And... And if hopefully you don't have to use too much medazolam because then you get into your airway problems again. You, yeah. you kind of defeated the purpose. Sure. Okay. So yeah. So so one of the key concepts is if you're using it for agitation control, don't underdose. Right. So Just go like, big or go home, sort of. Very much so. Yeah. If in fact it would be perfectly safe to use ten milligrams per kilogram. Mm-hmm. You know, give them a thousand milligrams of ketamine is just as safe. Is giving someone 500. Because you said it, 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 there's a ceiling, right? Once you hit that ceiling, it doesn't really matter. Exactly. How much the, more? The, the dissociation threshold. So, yeah. so that's why ketamine is completely unlike most other drugs. Like most other drugs, when you give more, they go deeper and deeper. Yeah. Ketamine has a threshold, mm-hmm. the dissociation threshold. Once they're fully dissociated, you can give them 10 times the dose, and the exact same patient is right in front of you. They haven't changed. It'll just take longer to wear off. Yeah. So, so we shouldn't need to necessarily feel worried that, well, I'm not sure if this, you know, guy's 100 kilograms versus 90 versus 80. So let's go with 80 and therefore give 275 of ketamine. Like you're saying, don't don't do that math. Just no. assume they're bigger. Give 500. Aim and, high. Yeah. And if 400 was the actual weight based five milligrams per kilogram, oh well, you gave it 500. And yeah. Yeah. So um, it's actually interesting, um, you know, ketamine for agitation control in adults is this kind of, it's kind of a new thing. And yeah. people are kind of going, you know, 500 milligrams of ketamine, are you crazy? Yeah. Don't forget that sedation in pediatrics, mm-hmm. we've been using high dose ketamine for decades. Mm. And when you look, so the classic, you know, pediatric ketamine for kids, mm-hmm. the classic dose is four milligrams per kilogram, IM. I remember using it in my very first year of practice because it was well established as a pediatric sedation medication. Mm-hmm. And that, that has been well accepted. When you look back at those dosing studies, uh, they found that four milligrams per kilogram was effective about 90% of the time. Wow. And when you go to five milligrams per gram, 
it's effective 95% of the time. Wow. And so, so... It makes sense, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just that because they're small kids, you're drawing up, you're only pulling out one vial, not five. <laughs> exactly. And everybody got, everybody was actually pretty happy with that. We did that, we did that for decades. Mm-hmm. So this is actually the way I um, get people comfortable with this whole scenario. I say, we're just doing a procedural sedation. And well, they'll like, oh, and they'll yeah. go, I know how to do that. What are we using? We're using ketamine, but we're going to give it IM mm-hmm. in the usual dose we would use for a pediatric patient. They just happen to be a big pediatric, pediatric patient. patient. So yeah. we're giving them 500 milligrams. Mm-hmm. And sure, we can get the RT down. Let's just treat this like a procedural sedation. And it just, I find everything goes really smoothly that way. Right. You get people into their comfort zone. Yeah. And it's not even, you know, I'm not even making that up because essentially that's what it is. We're performing a mm-hmm. agitation control procedure. Yeah. So when you, if I'm reducing someone's broken bone, yeah. I want them fully to be fully asleep. Right. I want them to have complete analgesia, no awareness, and no recall. Mm-hmm. Those are all the things I want, and I want it all to be quick done quickly. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're doing with agitation control. I want rapid control, full control. Patients comfortable, patients got analgesia on board, they have mm-hmm. sedation on board, and they'll have no recall. Yeah. And it provides you all those things. So just treat it like a procedural sedation. Mm-hmm. I actually call the RT down because when if a rare event happens, they're there. It's actually yeah. quite convenient. Well, it's good to have a plan, right? Just in case yeah. that yeah. things don't work out that well. I think that yeah. as a team, it's always nice before you go in to have a plan. And then if the plan doesn't work, where are we going rather than have it not work and then have a bit of a panic at, at, yeah. the, at the time. So yeah. I think we're all for having a plan for both yeah. whether it works. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen, you know, if you use this, once you start using this stuff, you will see some side effects. Mm-hmm. Everyone sees a laryngospasm once in a while, just like you did sitting kids. Yeah. And it's really exactly the same. Yeah. Um, you know, if you know how to treat laryngospasm, you'll be fine. Yes. <laughs> because laryngospasm... 99 times out of 100 goes away on its own. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One time out of 100, you might have to provide a bag mask ventilation. And one in a thousand, you might have to paralyze and intubate. One in a thousand is not very damn likely. Yeah. But um, other things can also happen that can be inconvenient, like hypersalivation. See it once in a while. Okay. And it can be pretty profound. It's pretty, I mean, it's pretty annoying. Yeah. <laughs> What's that dog that makes all that saliva? What is that? There's a dog that does that, right? That falls. Is that what it is? There's lots of dogs that make lots of saliva. (sighs) Monique's not a dog person. No, obviously (laughs) not. (laughs) Stick to cats. Cats, I guess they don't make saliva. Monique's a crazy cat lady. I'm not. I don't even have anything. I I barely am a green thumb. (laughs) I can't even look after a plant. (laughs) Yeah, so so anyway, so that's the way I've been approaching it lately mm-hmm. and I find that's received very well yeah I kind of like that you've said that because I think that when you put it in context with something that we're familiar with it makes it a little bit easier to take those principles and go oh yeah that is true instead of just looking at a number and reacting to a number when you say it that way it it everybody I'm sure would calm down because we're like oh yeah we know how to do that and I think when you relate things to something that we're familiar with it makes it a huge difference doesn't it yeah so what do you what did you take from that little discussion there? Well, I always, Top three. I always love the 
dosing conversation. Yeah. And it's one so I go repeat big. often. Yeah. So go big or go home. Go small or go big. Yeah. And don't live in the middle. Yeah. Um, and that there is a ceiling. I think that that's really the, important. And the plateau effect. Yeah. The, not sorry. The what ceiling what effect. You call it? Dissociation. The dissociation threshold. 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 Yeah. Yes. Um, that sounds so much more intelligent. It than... sounds more intelligent <laughs> than I'll ever be. Um, and I can't think of my third one right now. I oh, I actually, from... I actually like the the treating it, and this is how I've actually explained it when we're when we're doing them in transport is treating it like a procedural sedation because I'm often going into sites that that mm-hmm. I don't know all the staff necessarily, but everyone in our province anyway, everyone when you say to them we're going to do a procedural sedation, mm-hmm. just go can go on autopilot almost, and like oh yeah. we even have a form for that, and we need to do all this before we do it, and blah 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 blah. Yeah. So, uh, I I like that analogy yeah. of it, and I like the the whole concept of let's look at this as we're trying to get our patient well looked after. So we need to manage the agitation in order for us to actually find out what the underlying cause is Um, because patients die of organic causes. And so the burden of proof is ours. And so we need to safely get them under quickly uh, for their safety and our safety so that we can care for them appropriately. I think that that's probably the overriding Thing yeah. For me. Yeah. So, so when I have an agitated patient, the first question I ask myself is, do I need to get them knocked flat right now, now. Yeah. or do I have another option? Because yeah. I won't pick ketamine every time. No. As much as fun as it is. <laughs> what? You're not <laughs> picking ketamine? <laughs> I know it's 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 difficult. It's hard. But um, but for the ones that you need them controlled mm-hmm. right now and very fast, because you need to free up your staff, you need to protect yeah. your staff, you need to get that patient under control and worked up, ketamine is, is, is always the best choice yeah. for that rap for that rap control. And the thing to remember about when you use that high dose of ketamine, mm-hmm. you're good for most of an hour. So and when your patient wakes up, you also have to remember they're gonna be right back where you started. And so after you've got them sedated and you've started your workup, you know, monitors, IVs, labs, start cooling them. Don't forget that the ketamine is going to start wearing off. You'll see it start wearing off in half an hour or so. They'll start waking up. They're going to start going. Th- you know that they're going to start going through that middle zone. Yeah. Now, that's okay because now that you've got IVs in and you're starting to get them worked up and treated, you can give them some midazolam if necessary. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you don't have to give them anything. But don't forget that they're also going to get back to the original state that they were in. Because you, have, you haven't actually fixed anything yet. Yeah. Um, you've just sedated them for a good solid half hour so you can get control. And um, So what would be the long-term plan? Then you can, you can make, a, you make a plan. You, you've initiated your workup, you get them treated, and then you plan, so how am I going to keep them sedated? Yeah. Then you can give them a another agent that lasts longer mm-hmm. takes longer to kick in and that's yeah. okay yeah. you can you can give them Haldol yeah I was going to say that then you can kind of play yeah. a little bit and the time that that takes to kick in is no problem because ketamine has bought you 40, 45 to 60 minutes yeah so surprisingly we have to think about the reasons we're choosing certain drugs and that one size doesn't fit all that different clinical conditions warrant different drugs and then thinking of a long term plan once they start to come up and you've got your work done yeah hmm. excellent okay well thank you very much thank you always a pleasure uh, yes. we'll just have to keep bringing him back could and you back start and back. researching something else <laughs> um, no <laughs> what his life work is i don't know what we're going to talk about after this <laughs>
Well, thank you very much, and we will see you next month, I guess. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. For past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education, www.prneducation.ca.